This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 142 of the ABZ Football Podcast as live again this Thursday evening, the 21st of December 2023. I'm Gary Scott and as always I am joined by the legend is Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how's it going? I'm good, thank you very much. Uh, Much like a lot of our listeners, I'm sure I've got a lot of stuff still to do for Christmas Day, so to be here reliving the horrors of Aberdeen versus Livingston at Pataudry is not exactly the way that I want to spend the few days left before jolly old Saint Nick arrives. That's sad to obviously not Nicky Maynard. Indeed. <laughs> no, one wish- no one wishes that Nicky Maynard showed up. <clears throat> no, indeed, absolutely. Um, Gav, you're right. We know the game's come thick and fast, so it's a little bit like what we did on uh, Monday night. It's going to be another kind of maybe rough and ready version of the show as we're going to look back on what was a much-needed three points secured against Livingston on Wednesday evening. And then we'll have a quick look ahead to Saturday's trip to Dens Park for our first meeting of the season with Dundee. You ready, Gav? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. So first, yeah. happening two, Livingston one, Wednesday the 20th of December 2023 at Pataudry Stadium in the Cinch. And again, long-term listeners will know, normally do a bit of a deep dive in the game, but time constraints mean we just can move straight on to some burning hot takes after the game on Wednesday evening. Now, in the preview, Gav, I think neither of yourself or Graham expected much in the way of significant changes in terms of lineup and or system. Uh, on the system front, there wasn't any change at all, still with the 3-5-2. On personnel, though, an enforced swap of Rubicic for McDonald due to Ruby's suspension kicking in. And we saw three more changes as well in the starting 11 with uh, Duke in for Sokler, Magari in for Hayes, and Povara in for McGrath. Now, I was kind of okay with Duke and McGarry, um, although we'll come on to the latter in a minute or two, I think. Povara for McGrath seemed an odd one, though. I think if there was one midfielder in our side who looks like they could do with a break, it's Graham Shinney. Uh, that is the understatement to end all understatements. So, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think Graham Shinney, even in the first half of this game, was was toiling at times, uh, trying to compete with the Livingston midfield. Um, you know, I guess you're right. There were changes in personnel, but it didn't really, didn't really change the team up too much in terms of what we were actually capable of doing. Um, delighted to see Polvara get that start in the, in the game, but it's just one of those where you think, yeah, take, take Graham Shinney out. Do we necessarily need a holding midfielder? You know, Dante's capable of competing, uh, winning possession if the, if the game gets tough. And you've then got McGrath, who's got that little bit more, a little bit more energy and 
poses you know much more of a goal threat than Graham Shinny does as well. So um, I would say a strange decision, but not in the least bit surprising either, because as we commented, you know Robson appears to just have a pretty undying loyalty towards Graham Shinny and is going to play him and no matter what, even if it's uh, to the detriment of our captain. I did see somebody um, pre-game just saying that Barry Robson just seems intent on watching Graham Shinney crumble like dust at this moment in time. And it kind of does feel like that way. There was quite an interesting tweet by, I think it was Vit T, um, who does a lot of analysis work as well last night, which just showed why I think a lot of us should be concerned about the drop-off in Shinney's performances this season. Just on every single metric you'd expect for a central material, he's way down um, on, on what he was performing like last season. With the exception, I think, of progressive passes, which did come as a bit of a surprise to me. But but, but, there, but there we go. Um, <clears throat> we'll come up and talk about Graham Shinney in a little bit more detail, I think, later on. Uh, again, no real surprise, I don't think, in the shape. But again, pre-match, when you saw the team lineup come out, you know, playing the bottom side in the league, a team who haven't won in eight coming in. They hadn't scored in seven coming in. They're the lowest goal scorers in the division by quite some distance. I mean, did we really, really have to go with a back three? It's 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 one of them because you you would you don't mind it it's like last season when we're playing the back three and regardless of the opposition we're we're winning week in, week out. But you know, this season we've struggled so much to dominate games um you look at the front two that they had in in Nublay and uh Curtis Guthrie I mean neither of them are gonna stretch the defense too much or, or run away from anyone so you'd like to think that if we go you know man for man and you can always have Shinny or the defensive mid- midfielder dropping in to, to help out whenever need be so yeah to play a back three I mean at times you're basically playing a flat back five against like you say um in terms of points Goal scored the worst team in the league. It's um, it's just not, it's not being proactive and it's not asserting yourself on the opposition at home, which is you know the least you should be doing, in my view, almost against anyone. Uh, so to take that kind of negative, if you can't win the game, don't lose the game approach to a team like Livingston. Yeah, it's 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 pretty disheartening to see as a fan. And let's be brutally honest again. The first half was once again really poor on our part perhaps maybe not so much hoofball as we've seen in recent weeks but there was still very little dynamism at all in our play we had lots of ball but so much of a slow ponderous side to side backward passing if Stalingrad was a game of football <laughs> it would be the first 40 minutes of Aberdeen versus Livingston at Pataudry on the 20th of December 20. 23 this was bad really really bad i mean livingston are not in any way good us livingston are i mean they are they look pretty doomed to me by the by the evidence of what i saw and you hear martindale's comments after the game you know it's like they need more players but hey guess what they've got no money to sign anyone so um i'd really struggle to see them being able to turn this around from from the position they're in, uh, but Aberdeen, you know, just yeah, you're right. Maybe not so much of the hopeless, aimless long balls. Although there were still some, of course, there when, were still some. That's when, when um, generally speaking, Gartman would be just completely on a different wavelength from Duke and Miofsky, and when they want to drop in short, he puts a ball over the top straight out for a goal kick. Um, but yeah, lots of very frustrating side to side 
passing between the, the three centre-backs, getting into the wing-back, the wing-back will face the opposition goal and then think better of it and turn back and then pass back and then, you know, pretend as if available for another pass. Um, and yeah, just midfield, not having any control of the midfield there. Clarkson, I think, was trying to make things happen, but much like Garman, just never seemed to be on the right wavelength with anything that he could try and do or perhaps trying to be a little bit too cute at times. Um, yeah, um, maybe a little less of the direct stuff, but still, I mean, there were times where it's a combination of all the worst things of Jim Goodwin, yeah. Stephen Glass, and Byron Robson uh, in the last two and a half years encapsulated in one 40-minute spell. Yeah, indeed. Talk about the wingbacks. I mean, McGarry in particular seemed to be really reluctant, certainly in the first half, to get up the line where there was like plenty of space for him to run into. Um, Jensen and Gartman also seemed to be under instructions not to really venture, excuse me, venture below the halfway line. And we played just so much of the football in that. I was going to say the first four minutes, I, for the first hour really, in front of a Livingston side who were happy just to sit in a low block and just let us go nowhere. Yeah, I, I, also this is one thing I did just notice um, about our predicament is that, you know, I just looked up at one point and realised that Livingston, we've we've matched them shape for shape. Pretty much, a back, yeah. The back three, wing backs, three midfielders, two strikers up front. And that was kind of galling. And then also when they did the old... Uh, um, kickoff routine of striker plays it straight back to the goalkeeper who hoofs it. I was like, ah, right, okay, this that, we I've do seen this. this one before. Uh, we do that, okay. Um, well, this is where we are, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, no surprise. That's how Livingston wanted to to play, and that's where you have to be as the home team, take the impetus and and you know make them make them work to win the ball or try and dominate it and create chances. And yeah, you're right. I mean, like Jensen Garterman, we commented just would look up, uh, would have space to run into, but it makes me think they're under instruction to hold their position uh, on the halfway line and not venture forward because I feel like Jensen especially would want to yeah, be that kind of attacking yeah. kind of player and get himself involved. But And then, you know, I think generally speaking, both Devlin and McGarry were pretty reluctant to to get themselves up the flank. So you can have like a neat triangle between the defender to a midfielder to then the wing back. Very strange. I mean, McGarry, we were told, was all about being a very good attacking fullback and getting crosses in the box. And on the evidence, that's a little bit like Jaden Richardson, where you've got your skepticism about him going back the way, but he should offer this threat, but he doesn't offer that threat. And then you're left wondering, well, what's this guy actually, what's he been told to do? Or why is he reluctant to to show these attacking instincts? Yeah, it became, we'll touch, let's, let's talk about McGarry just now, actually, because you've just kind of brought into it. I mean, it felt certainly in the first half and it felt really noticeable. It felt more noticeable with McGarry than it did with Devlin. Although I think you're right that Devlin was a little bit reluctant to get forward as well, but we played quite a bit in the first half down the left-hand side. And there was a few times that there was gaping holes over the back of the Livingston kind of wing back that if McGarry makes the run, he's either pulling players out of position to allow Jensen to step into that area. Or if someone plays a cute ball in behind, he's got a chance to get into an attacking position. And he just seemed really, really reluctant to make the run, which was a bit odd. Um, and I think that from McGarry's perspective, it's not a performance I don't think he's likely to look back on with too much fondness. Um, and it is, it's that thing again where you're like, is he being told not to overcommit going forward? Because as you've said, everything we were told when we signed him is that he was an attacking wingback. That's where his that's where his natural instinct lay was going forward rather than defensively, which is where we expected of the concern. 
it's it's strange because obviously last season when you hark back to it, McCrory and, and you know Johnny Hayes, generally speaking, played left wing back and they were always getting themselves up and down the line. Um, perhaps even the case of John Hayes's uh situation may be a little bit too much for for his age and what he's capable of doing now. So I, I my feeling is that Robson would continue to give them that message to to be that attacking outlet because let's be fair, the wing backs are our only source of width in this team. Um, so it just felt for me, it felt like a player, I guess, pretty low in confidence or maybe low in match fitness. And, you know, we did hear from the gentleman we spoke to about Magari that, you know, fitness and stamina is one thing that was going to possibly hold him back. And obviously he's had that bad hamstring injury, uh, not played as much football as we would like to see from him this season. So maybe there's a reluctance, a hesitation there. Um, but you're right. I mean, it was just, I always think back to, you know, the Barcelona documentary when Henri talked about signing for Barcelona and having to understand that his role was just to make runs, knowing that 99 times out of 100, the ball's never coming to him. But his job is just to pull defenders out of the way so that then you get space for the better attacking players. And you can do that still with that with Miofsky or Duke or getting Polbara, Clarkson forward, uh, but he just wasn't providing that option. And yeah, it was incredibly frustrating whenever Jensen or whoever would play the ball to him and he would, you know, face up his marker for a split second and then immediately turn back and knock it back to Jensen or back to Kelrus. Um, and let's be fair, as the game went on in the second half, it did not get any better. Uh, yeah. By the point that he was substituted, it was like watching a wounded deer and he just wanted to get out of his misery. And yeah. Thankfully, Robson did, in fact, uh, pull the trigger. <laughs> Are you missing Jack McKenzie? I was missing Johnny Hayes last night. <laughs> we, we have let, suffered a bit let, with McKenzie being out. Let's be blunt. We've seen some pretty abject performances from various people at left back or left wing back in our time supporting Aberdeen. But that, for me, I mean, I can't immediately recall a McCulkin performance that gave me that level of rage. But... Um, it if was Graham not was a here, good Graham would, If Graham was here, he would recall a McQuilkin performance that gave him that sort of rage. It's just funny because last episode I talked about how I wanted to see McGarry start so I can get a read on him to decide yeah. if he's good or not. And um, all I will say is I think the A-League might be a bit rubbish. <laughs> Let's wait and see. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, I thought he did I thought he did okay in the semi-final, in the final, sorry, when he came on, um, apart from the, the, the problem with the goal. Um which is obviously the major yeah, yeah, point. Yeah, so yeah. Um, the small issue of not marking his man, yeah. Yeah. At least as it turns out, he didn't score no goal last night, which is what initially we thought had happened from the from the Merck one then. So um Yeah, yeah it's actually a pretty tidy, pretty tidy finish from Curtis Guthrie. Was it was it? Well, I mean, levels and all that from what yeah. he was from what I would have expected from him, all the evidence. Uh, yeah. Um Davy Martindale thought that uh, Curtis Guthrie was immense when I was driving home last night. Um like I say, that is a man who knows he's got absolutely zero money in the cash pot and needs to big up any old shit that he's got. I was about to say that sounds like a man who has sampled his fair share of Class A, but um, hey, there well, we go. Well, well, that's very naive because as you know, we all know, you don't get high on your own supply. <laughs> anyway, back to the first half performance. Um, yeah, really poor stuff from us from an attacking perspective. I mean, Povada had like a wee sight on 10 minutes that went just over... Um, you just touched on a minute ago that Shinny doesn't offer the same sort of goal threat that McGrath does, but Shinny, 
hits the post from distance. And I'm actually astonished it didn't go in the more I've watched it back again. It's got all the spin and everything on it to direct that ball into the net. Um, and sometimes when you lucks out, you lucks out, isn't it? Um, apart from that, though, we didn't really create anything of note in that first half. And it then did feel somewhat inevitable that a Livingston side, as we touched on, who hadn't scored in seven games, would somehow grab something. And they did, Guthrie tapping in after what was, again, some pretty poor defensive play by ourselves. Yeah, we definitely didn't feel secure. Um, and they were winning, you know, long throws or corner kicks. And despite what the stats might indicate, we are not a good team when it comes to defending set pieces. Um, and then I think that was just like a bit of a breakaway, wasn't it? Uh, led to their goal. Yeah, poor, poor stuff. But I mean, hey, if you haven't scored in seven games, then come on up to put Audrey and we'll, we'll give you an easy one. We'll get you back on track. Indeed. Um, and, and just as it looked as though we could all warm ourselves up for a real cacophony of booze at halftime, um, we finally did the thing that we've all been screaming out for, for what feels like the entirety of this season. Garteman decided to venture beyond halfway, fed a nice ball into Devlin, who was in a great advanced position on the touchline, whips in a great cross first time. Miofsky manages to fashion a goal with a header that really wasn't easy actually he's kind of running backwards to it um to try and get his head on it yes and then arch his head round to, to to flick it towards goal i mean to show you how difficult that goal is it's got an expected goal of just not point not four on it when you look at it a really really good goal all around but it just goes to show what happens if you get the ball wide and throw balls into the box uh, yeah especially when you've got Strikers who are as good as their with their head as as Boyamnyovsky and and Duke for that matter. I mean, at the time, you know, we stand in the red shed. I knew it was a good header um, at the time, but it's not until you watch it back on TV and you do see it is a good ball from Devlin, but yeah, it is that little bit behind Miofsky. Yeah. So it's just kind of like arc his run to get back in and you know get all the uh, all the neck muscles involved to direct the pair. To, well, for one thing, to direct the ball towards goal and with enough power to to beat the goalkeeper. Um, a vital goal for me, because I think if we'd gone and uh, one nil down, like you say, the booze would have rained down. Kel would have come out and told us all to calm down. Uh, that would have made things even worse. And Livingston would have just done what they were doing from minute one, you know, just um, taking their time with every single throw-in goal kick, free kick that they have to to take continue to frustrate us and I think that the longer the game would have gone on the angrier the home fans would have gotten and I haven't seen a whole lot from this club to or this team should I say to suggest that they're capable of overcoming that and getting themselves back in the game so yeah vital and I mean just another instance of where would we be without Boyan Mjolski. Yeah indeed and then actually Mjolski thought he had us in the lead before halftime after he latched on to a, a little back heel by Duke in the box, rounded the goalkeeper, lifted over Mikey Devlin, called offside though, I think as I've looked back on it, correctly called offside as well. But it's that thing is that you then think to yourself, okay, you've managed, to, you've, we've not played well, we've gone behind, you've managed to get yourselves back into the game. You expect then a bit of a reaction at the start of that second half and the, the start of that second half, the first 15 minutes, again, wasn't really much better than what we'd seen in the, in the opening 45 minutes. Perhaps we had a little bit more impetus but it was really scrappy stuff and it felt like we were going nowhere really until the substitution um of Morris for McGarry on the hour mark we made the change to go to a back four we went with a kind of hybrid 
4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, depending on how you look at it, with Duke and Morris out wide supporting Miofsky. And now, Gav, correlation is not necessarily causation. But within a minute of making that change, Duke had suddenly created a chance for himself out of Kenny nowhere before his effort was blocked. And then within five minutes, we'd scored. Clarkson with a lovely cross-field ball to Duke in the wide area. Duke doing what Duke does best, taking on a defender, out-muscling his opponent before then flashing a great ball into the box. And Miofsky, it's a really good finish again from Miofsky. Very easy to kind of lash at that one, um, you know, to kind of try and really put your laces through it. Really smart little finish into the bottom corner, puts in the lead. A lovely goal all round. Yeah, um, almost an indication that we have the the personnel around the club, around the team to, to fit a system where you know, we can play get some our- fucking football. I was, I was going to just keep it more simple than that and, you know, get the ball out wide and have players who can take on defenders and see what happens. Uh, you know, that's what we loved about Duke last season was his ability to use his pace and his strength to either get past defenders or bully them just out of the way. And that's what happens here. And, you know, again, you've got a striker with the movement, the quality of Boyamiowski, because it's like he times the run perfectly to get himself away from, I think it's Devlin. And, you know, it's just a nice, calm side foot finish in the corner. Keeper's going to have absolutely no chance reacting to that. Um, and, yeah, he just had a, a much better feeling about the about the place when we go 2-1 up and you think that probably no chance Livingston can, can come back in at this game. Little did I know. They obviously they should make it 2-2 later on. But, um, yeah, uh, much better. Um, I did like the balance. I think it was more of a 4-2-3-1 because Clarkson and Shinny were... Yeah, I you know, thought anchoring they were the midfield and Dante yeah. was uh, more advanced. Um, probably not getting as close to Miofsky as I would have liked him to to do so. Um, but he stepped, you know, kept at it with his combative display. Um, yeah, I mean, Shaden Morris, uh, Duke, providing that width. You started to see Jensen and Nicky Devlin offering a little bit more in the way of support and overlap. Yeah, it looked a bit more like a, a team you'd actually, you know, want to be happy to pay money to go and watch. I think I described it full time as we looked like a semi-competent and cohesive football unit all of a sudden when we switched that back for still some concerns. I mean, Bruce Anderson, as you touched on, had a massive, massive chance to equalise, but he kind of fluffed his lines. He was claiming Roos saved it. When I look back at the TV replay, it does look there's a little nick off Roos, in fairness. Um, I wasn't too sure about it at the time, but we did hold out for what is a, it's a massive three points in the context of just where we were going into the game, um, which feels really terrible to say that about a fucking home win against Livingston, but never mind. I guess as well, we, I feel like we're kind of being a bit negative about what was a win. You do need to take some positivity, I think, about the fact that we've that's twice now in our last two league games that we've come back from a goal down to win after what was a horrendous record in that sort of regard prior to the Hearts game. Um, I would say that's fair to an extent. but I mean, not, we shouldn't be a goal down to Livy, but... I'm not sure how much character it is to come back from 1-0 down against like I say, probably the worst team in the league. Uh, they are by far the worst team in the league. Um, again, again, who's, it's not as though they're coming to this game off the back of a win or a couple of better results. They they were, you know, what, seven games without a goal. Um, yes. So and they should have walked to, We'll come up and talk about their goals in a minute in a, in a second, actually. So, I mean, obviously that's seven goals, that, seven games without a win or anything either. So, um, yeah. Eight uh, games without hey, a win. Hey, it's, it's, it was obviously vital that we did get that win um, just to make the league table look a little bit healthier and keep us on track for hopefully um, in this kind of mini run uh, of games where we can 
achieve uh, maximum points. It's going to be a big ask for a team that have been as inconsistent as ourselves have been so far. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's absolutely fair to say it. it was a vital, vital three points and vital that we came back. But um, for me, you know, we shouldn't have been in a position where we needed to to fight back that like that. And that, I think that's the biggest point, is it? That for 60 minutes, it was poor, poor stuff. And even the last 30 minutes, the change of formation definitely helped. We'll come up and talk about the, the change in shape again in a minute or two. But in the overall game, and I, I look back at the, the hashtag data, because this is what we like to do. And sometimes the data lies, and sometimes the data doesn't really give the full representation of the game. But Livingston outperformed us on an expected goals basis last night. They were 1.53 to our dead on 1.00. The sides matched each other for shots, 11. Livy created what Opta class as being three big chances to our one. I'm presuming our big chance is the Miofsky second goal. Um, Martindale's not wrong in his post-match interview to suggest that the, the difference between the two sides last night was Boyan Miofsky. Uh, no, uh, not at all. Um, I think that's entirely fair. Um, I don't think any, I mean, prime firing on all cylinders, Duke probably is capable of scoring both of those goals, but he's not there right now. Um, and, you know, it's, it is worth mentioning that Miofsky does miss an absolute sitter to make he his hat trick. Yeah. But, um, and and then, yeah. as we chose his game, I literally, so he missed a sitter to nearly get a hat trick. And then about a minute later, he gets the ball wide on the left hand side. And flashes what was actually a pretty outrageous effort that didn't look like it was that far away. It was not. It was not too shabby at all. Yeah, and you're like, oh mate, like anyway, let, so, let, we're nitpicking at this point. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think if you put Boyamiovsky in the position of Bruce Anderson, um, you're probably leaving that game uh, as Livingston two-two. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think Martin Dill's absolutely right. And once again, it's just it's the benefit for ourselves of having a genuine all-round class striker and you know it's i just echo what i said earlier you just do wonder where the hell we'd be this season if we didn't have him well that's what i was going to touch on on boyan i mean without his goals this season we've been in a lot of trouble in it there's a, <clears throat> potentially a little bit of um, parallels here with you know would we have been under a lot more pressure in steven glass's reign if ramirez hadn't started the season as well as he'd done he, he also scored a few goals at the start of the, the time he was here with us you know, Miofsky last season with Goodwin as well. There was a lot of uh, games in, in the initial run where we kind of stumbled a little bit in certain games and Miofsky was kind of there to the rescue. Um, and and here again this season, if it's not for Bojan's goals, then we're in a real, real pickle. And it's another two really good finishes in this game. He's got eight goals in the league this season, which actually I thought seemed a bit low until I realised just, you know, when you think about how many goals we've, who scored in Europe this season. Um, but those eight goals in the league, it's even more impressive, I think, when you consider that as a team, we really don't create a lot. We're eighth in the league for big chances created. We're fifth in the table for expected goals, 21.8. Um, we don't create a lot, so therefore we rely on our strikers being clinical when the chances do actually arrive. It's becoming more and more critical, I think, now that we do keep a hold of Boyamiovsky in January, isn't it? Certainly. Um, I think it would have to be, you know, I'm, I'm in no doubt that there'll be suitors um, looking at him, um, considering him as a, a potential option for the January transfer window. I just think we need to hold pretty firm. I mean, we do still have him for 
next summer will still have two years left on his contract. Um, he's a very good age. He's just getting better and better. Um, so I don't think we're at the point of where this is going to be his maximum value. I think we can still wait till the summer and get the, the kind of fee that we'd be looking at uh, to reasonably take him away from Aberdeen. It would need to be a transfer fee that would smash the Ramsey record for me um, to even consider it because even if you get record money going out and sourcing a replacement in January is going to be, I think for me, nigh on impossible. You never know who we're looking at, but given that we spent um, the guts of a million pounds on Esther Sokler, I still can't make my mind up on and Habib Gay, who's uh, <laughs> <laughs> watching, watching Habib Gay and Shaden Morse trying to do kippy ups in the halftime interval was about as tragic as the actual game itself. <laughs> so with the exception of Miofsky and Duke, you know, identifying strikers has not been our forte in the last few years. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't think we'd be able to come even close to replacing him in January. And you say then, that, I think we've done okay in the striker recruitment in recent years. What, Jet? Well, <clears throat> you temper Jet with Ramirez. Yeah. Um, six, months. six months. For six months until, you know. Austin Samuels. Yeah, but let's go back to that. Okay, but you're going to have some misses in this, right? Of course. But Ramirez for six months until he spat the dummy. Okay, he was doing all right for what was a relatively unknown signing. Um, Although, obviously, part of that came off of Glass and Russell's relationship with him. So I think he was a bit of a known commodity to them. Um, Oh, I think think that's that's very fair to say, yes. You know, Miofsky is such an interesting signing from so many different perspectives for a club like Aberdeen because his numbers and this is and I'll encourage anybody who listens who's never you know who's maybe been a recent listener we did a really good interview with Lee Scott um who used to be one of the 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 analysts at the club um last season I know they talked a lot about the Miofsky signing in particular because he's a very interesting signing in the sense that his goal scoring record prior to arriving at Aberdeen is not like spectacular it by any stretch of the imagination he'd been part of the mtk budapest side who were relegated hadn't scored a lot of goals for budapest in that campaign but what they saw in him was his overall goal contribution number was quite high considering he was playing in a budapest team that were struggling and when we say goal contributions we mean goals and assists and there was something else within his numbers and his data as well that they liked the look of. And there was a, a, a piece in there about, well, let's go and look at him. And they, they watched him quite closely for a, a number of months before making the call on him. But he's an interesting player from that perspective of how you find players who maybe, you know, the data we would all normally look at for a goal scorer will be how many fucking goals does he score in how many games? And this wasn't necessarily like that. Um, and he's proven to be, over two seasons now, a very, very... Um, impressive player for Aberdeen and I'm in no doubt at all that he's going to go on to one of the top five leagues once he leaves um, Pataudry and he's going to go on and have a very good career I think because he also is just on an upward trajectory and I, I just see a player who can continue to improve um, rather than he's already reached a ceiling. What I would like to see us do and this is the only reason I would like to see that I would like to see us do this for two reasons one is to maximise the, the value of any potential transfer fee for him and second is just to ensure that he's happy is to try and sign him up on an extended deal for another, like, so sign a one year extension. So he's got three years in the pocket when summer rolls around, when January comes, he understands that we're not going to sell him in January. 
and he's not going to get like he's not going to down tools if he sees people coming in trying to get him. But there will be an understanding that if the summer comes around and somebody offers X million, we won't stand in his way and let him go. Yeah, um, I think he's expressed interest in the past, but wanting to play in England, um, presumably in the Premier League. Um, obviously, Dad and Mowbray and now Lee Scott are both part of the recruitment strategy at Southampton. Um, I don't know exactly how they're doing, but that's obviously something they could be potentially looking at. Uh, but I would tend to be, I think you look at Ramadani, Lewis Ferguson, what they've gone and done in, in Italy, as well as other Scottish players. Uh, for me, Miofsky would be more than ideal for to go and play in that league or somewhere else on the continent. Um, I just think, you know, he's he's just absolute class. And I'm sure we have identified potential replacements, but I just don't think you're realistically going to get them in January. There'll be summer transfers, unless we're looking at clubs in perhaps Scandinavia when their seasons are finished and they're going to be rebuilding for their next season. We should be looking at all these potential markets, but you know, for me again, you're not going to find anyone better than Boyanovsky right now. So let's keep him till the summer, unless a just astronomical fee comes in, in January, which we just cannot turn down. What would you class as being astronomical that can't be turned down? <sighs> for Aberdeen, I mean, for a striker from Scotland, from one a team that's not playing in the old firm, ten eight. mil plus eight. Eight. See, I wouldn't settle for less than double figures on. Not ten pounds, ten million. I wouldn't. I can't. <laughs> I'm very easy to deal with. Well, with our chairman, you never know. Um, I think I, yeah. I would I mean, say to somebody, if you want him in January, he's going to cost you ten million plus. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's probably eight, eight, eight to ten. I'd be, I'd be content with. Um, and then we can go side Fraser Hornby on loan. I think he's. I think Fraser Hornby's crocked actually. Um. I find this shocking. Yeah. Um, I find that shocking to learn. What's Eamon Brophy, Brophy up to these days? Not getting a game at Ross County. Anyway, um, just quickly going through the teams on terms of other performances. Duke, I think, showed once again the effectiveness that we can get from him when he comes off the flank, I thought, in that second half. And it's something we saw from when he originally broke into the team last season. He's He's very effective off that left flank. The thing about Duke for me is that I think he needs space to work with um i think playing as a striker as like a central striker i think a lot of center backs in this country have learned that if you can kind of get close to him pretty quick on he's got a tendency to want to engage or you can he maybe like tends to wait for the ball a little bit too much yeah and you can nip in front and get get the ball away from him if you can get him space and have him like you know give him a little two three five yard start to just get the accelerators going he's you know pretty pretty unstoppable once he gets going so it does feel like that's the best way to get you know the most out of him he can still you know drift into the center when the ball's on the opposite yeah. flank to get close to Boyanovsky so they can uh, get that kind of partnership going which which has been proven to work times they obviously get on with each other uh, have an understanding it hasn't come off as much this season as we would like but we know potential is there uh, but yeah, I mean, he's just a defender's nightmare. I was genuinely a little bit frustrated that when we lined up last night that he was not on Mikey Devlin's side. Because yeah. I feel like from where we were, I should be like hearing Mikey Devlin's knees screaming in terror at the idea of Duke <laughs> turning him and making him turn at pace. Yeah. So yeah. that seemed a bit um, an oversight, I guess I call it, in the strategy. 
Um, but yeah, it was again, and I think you're probably right. When it came to changing the shape, he did seem to just be a bit more like himself. He's cutting in from the left side, yep. getting shots away. Nothing came off it necessarily, and he's capable with his left foot to get crosses in the box, which is what leads to the to the winning goal. So um, I think for me, that's for the time being. If we want to change the shape, that's where I'd put Duke. We'll talk about the shape again in a minute or two. But um, backline, McDonald, I thought was fine throughout. Didn't really do anything wrong. Comfortable. Um, Jensen and Garterman, uh, we spoke about earlier on. I'm still bemused as why they won't drive into space when it opens up in front of them. I'm convinced this is being drilled into them. Um, <clears throat> perhaps Stefan Garterman's poorest display since he joined us. He looks like a guy, though, who needs a break. And I went back to look at the numbers. Since he joined, he's featured in every game except for Helsinki away. And then he's completed 90 minutes in every game he's played except for the last 28 minutes against Eintracht. It's also actually a really similar story for Richard Jensen. He's only failed to start that Frankfurt game since he joined the club when he actually came off the bench for Gartenman. It's two guys who've been... We're talking about Graham Shinney a lot being flogged to death. That's two guys who are really being fucking put to the test and Jensen's also played international football as well in that time yeah so he's had a lot of travel to deal with as well um, and I think <laughs> the same will probably go for Nicky Devlin um, as far as players who've just basically played yeah. near enough every minute with the exception of a couple of away games when when Jack Mills played right wing back um, I think with Garterman like when he came in he looked very very impressive um, I think I'm on record as calling him a, a Rolls Royce type player I feel in the last month, six weeks, the performances have kind of ranged from mid to pretty poor. And I felt both with the ball, with the exception probably driving forward and getting the ball to Devlin to cross the ball yeah. at Miofsky. You know, he's ah, doesn't seem like he's got a pretty great range of passing and doesn't seem to understand when strikers want to drop in or doesn't even seem to notice it. And then his defending at times is just very lackluster. I mean, I know that it all ends in an offside, but that moment where he sort of oh, ups yeah, the ball yeah, up yeah. in the air and then loses the ball. I think Nubley was just extremely abject. Um, so yeah, has I, Gartenman, for anyone who listens to football cliches, has Gartenman been downgraded now from a Rolls Royce to a thoroughbred? Um, I'm not sure if it's a thoroughbred or more like Strapping a Strapping loon. Or more like a modest minor. <laughs> That's quite the downgrade, to be fair. <laughs> um, a, vet, a, vet, a poor performance from him. Um, and I do yeah. think, you know... It's maybe not necessarily the ideal setup, but Rubicic has played right back, sorry, right back at the back three. If you want to persist with that, he's done that for his country. Yeah, I guess better opposition than he's going to typically face um, <laughs> in the SP, in the Premiership, sorry, Scottish Premiership. And McDonald has got a, I think you see in Helsinki, McDonald was very good at kind of talking Rubicic through situations. Maybe. I don't, we're going to talk about this in a few seconds, in a few minutes. I'm not convinced that what we saw last night is going to change Robson's mind about the shape. Okay. But so will. if you want to persist with um, that back three and give Garterman a rest, I mean, we've shown before that he will happily play Nicky Devlin there as well. I think yeah. there's options to take him out and get him a little break so we can maybe get him back up to where he was when he first arrived. Yeah, indeed. Once again, I thought Povara did, in the main, well in midfield. I, I thought in the first half we struggled... Not to have control of the material, but play a ball, we just struggle to really do much with it. Second half, kind of the same. And then when we switched to the four at the back, I thought Povara really came into his own. Gave us some legs, physical stature in the midfield. He, he can, He's decent on both feet. 
Um, he's got good enthusiasm, good determination about him. There was one moment where he kind of tried to play a plash around the corner. It was blocked. It allowed Livy to potentially, you know, come in, and he chased back down like twenty yards, sprinted it in to go and make the tackle, which was great. So a good performance from Dante Pavara last night. Curiously though, um, no minutes again for Connor Baden. Um, yeah, I mean, let's not pretend that we're not aware of all the rumor and innuendo that's going around. Uh, something I think there might be something there, but I can't see any other logical reason as to why we're not playing this guy because he's been excellent whenever he's played this season, by and large. And yeah. uh, in another game like that, where you just want someone to take the ball down and control the midfield, Connor Barron's the best one we have at that. Um, and if you don't want to start him, you can, I, I can't, I fail to see how a manager could look at the way that game was going and not think we need to get more composure and more quality in the center of the park. And I've got Connor Barron on the parks, I've got Connor Barron on the bench, sorry. So why the hell would you not bring him on? Um, I think there's possibly even there's a breakdown um, in the negotiations or something's going on that we're not aware of and might yeah. not be aware of until January. Because um, otherwise, I can't see why you wouldn't play him. I tend to agree on that point. Um, let's wait and see what happens. But um, it does seem curious. I mean, that's now a couple of games, a couple of big games. Um, I can't believe still we're talking about Livingston at home has been a big game, but it's just, it's just the cup so final as well. The cup final as well. It felt like it was a game where Conor Barron could really have come on and, and and made an impact in that game. And I can't I can't understand how Robson could turn and look at his bench at times when you're looking to try and get a foothold in the midfield. You maybe try to create a little something and not look at Barron and think, yeah, you know what, <clears throat> let's get you in there. Um, if if Conor Barron was just all about you know his technique on the ball then I could maybe understand it, but he's got fight and yeah. determination. Um, so you can definitely do the kind of Graham Shinney part of that game if yeah. you need that as well um, in in tandem with with Dante Polvara especially. I mean, he was great against Frankfurt at home. He yeah. was probably one of our better players in Helsinki. So he's showing against a good level of opposition what he's capable of doing. And Robson should know him, having obviously coached him for a long time in the, in the under-18s. Yeah. So yeah, that was what, that's what leads me to think that there's more than meets the eye with why he's not playing. Nice Transformers reference there as well, Gav. Excellent stuff. Um, fundamental question now. Surely, surely, Robson has to now see what the rest of us are seeing. That three five two, five three two, every way you want to play it really, really doesn't work for us. And he needs to, <clears throat> on the face of last night, he really needs to shift to this back four, potentially. He needs to at least figure a way to get more width into the team. And as a result of that, create more space in the midfield area for players like Clarkson, for McGrath, Povara, Barron even, to try and exploit. Like, he, he can't not see this, surely. Can he? I refer you to my previous point that I entirely expect a back three at Dens Park. I struggle to rationalize how a manager could look at what we're doing and think that it's it's working and not look at the change in... I mean, it, was, it didn't go from being absolute garbage to sensational 
but there was a marked improvement in what we were doing when we did change the shape in the team. And when you start to look at it, you can think of Jensen plays left back for his country. Yeah, He's clearly capable of doing it. It's not necessarily ideal. Maybe you want him to be in the center so you can have that balance with the left and the right footer. But for the time being, much like last January, you just maybe need to put players in a position where they can do a job and get through things. And maybe we'll re... Um, We'll look again at the left back situation in January or the summer because I'm still not because we have a a quality left back in that team right now. Um and then you can have McDonald, Dartman, Rubicic, whatever combination in the center of the park, obviously Nikki Devlin. And then you know, the one of the fundamental problems has been that the any midfield combination we've tried with the three, it just the balance is not there, no matter who it is that's playing in there. So if you can have a Shinny or a Clarkson or a Pulvara or a Baron in the center of the park, I think it offers up help to each player. I think it's going to mean that Shinny is going to have the same level of donkey work that he seems to think that he needs to get himself through every single game, which is just, you know, running him down to the point that he's pretty, pretty damn ineffective. And then you can still, even though it's going to be, you know, a one up front, we saw it for so many years with, with Adam Rooney or Sam Cosgrove that, it doesn't mean you're being negative and you can still get actually more attacking threat in the yeah. team with Duke out wide. I would be, I mean, I guess you can give Shaden Morse a go. I'd be looking for myself for a quality right winger yep, in January. If you're not going to play Vinny Bajowin at all, and maybe he's lost faith in Ryan Duncan um, out wide there, I'd be looking for that. And then, you know, again, you've got McGrath, you've got Clarkson, you've got Pulvara, or even, you know, someone like Sokler playing in behind um Miofsky who can then join in when uh, when we're attacking so for me again I don't think we've got an ideal blend of personnel to play 4-2-3-1 but it's better it's so much better than a back three a back five whatever you want to call it and a midfield three that we've seen doesn't work two strikers completely isolated and with being provided by I mean Nicky Devlin's done a I think by, by and large a very good job, but he's not for me an attacking fullback by trade, and we haven't got the quality on the left side. So you've got to look at things, find better ways to get your strikers more opportunities, create more chances, and get more attacking threat in the team. Yeah, I, I kind of disagree slightly about Devlin and his attacking prowess. I think he's shown to his career he's always been able to chip in with goals. Um, we've seen it since he's been at Aberdeen as well. He's sometimes he's as far advanced as the as the main strikers are sometimes. But that's nitpicking, I think, if nothing else. Oh no. <clears throat> Three points. Critical. We got them. I don't think anyone should be fooled though about that performance and that victory. It very much felt like papering over the cracks, certainly in term of the sh- certainly in the short term, unless that can now be the catalyst for changing setup, for changing style. Um, yeah, the, the performance definitely didn't leave me any more enthused that we are pulling the nose up on this thing and getting it all back on track, brother. Um, I think we've just beaten a, a very, very poor Livingston team. And I'm sorry to keep saying that to Liam and Jake and all the boys at the Album View podcast. And I'll miss them when they're gone because they are doomed. Top down. Um, Yeah, there's only one option. Um, we don't win it without him. Boy, Amiofsky. Yep, agreed. Boy, and it is. Let's move on very quickly then. Um, 
One more game, Gav. One more game until Santa visits. Trip to Dens Park awaiting on Saturday afternoon in the Cinch. Our first meeting with the Dark Blues of Dundee since their return to the Premiership this season. Tony Dock, so far in his maiden campaign as a number one, he's doing he's doing all right, doing pretty well. Dundee currently sitting in seventh spot, two points above ourselves. Similar to us, they do have two games in hand as well on the sides who currently sit fourth through sixth in the division. And this is a marked change for Dundee, the, the classic yo-yo team of the last, what feels like the last decade um, in Scottish football. So far this season for Dundee, played 16 1-5, drawn 6, lost 5, 4-20 against 23. Last time out, they won in Dingwall by a goal to nil, which saw Derek Adams have his latest freak-out slash meltdown. They do come into this one with two wins, two defeats, and a draw in their last five. Now, in the league, Dens Park has generally been a happy hunting ground for Aberdeen. Played 109 times over the years. We've won 47, drawn 36, only lost 26 uh, for 180 against 136, which I think gives us a positive goal difference of plus 44. But April 2019 was our last win at Dens Park, a 2-0 win thanks to a double from Sam Cosgrove that also saw Greg Halford. Remember him? On oh, the yes, he of worst Aberdeen 11 fame. Indeed, absolutely. It's fair to say, though, that our last two visits to Dens Park have been less than ideal. A 2-1 defeat in October 2021 prompted the legendary Dave Cormack appearance on Sports Sound, and it saw us all reminded by Gary Woods as to why he was such a terrible fucking goalkeeper. And that was then followed up by a 2-2 draw under Jim Goodwin in April 2022, as we once again contrived to allow Charlie fucking Adam dictate things after he waddled onto the park with 30 minutes to go. Again, another joyous afternoon in the City of Discovery. Side note about Gary Woods, I just noticed that he never played for an Aberdeen team that won a game in normal time. You only just noticed that? Yeah, played 10 times, which again is more than I thought. Um, his only success came in the Scottish Cup against Livingston in April 2021, which was via penalty shootout. And even then, the decisive penalty miss for Livingston was due to Jason Holt smashing his effort against the bar. It wasn't a save. So there we go. Gary yeah, those, Woods, we those, barely knew ye. Uh, those were dark days when people were chanting one Gary Woods. Well, no one was chanting it because it was COVID. Uh, there was enough people. Oh, I remember this when he came in against Celtic. Uh, yeah, and even at the beginning of that Dundee game. No, I don't remember I don't it very well. There was yeah, there's there's two three things I remember being shouted at a game. Uh, one was about Lee Griffiths that I had to explain to Matilda what that was all about, <laughs> and uh, the other was Stephen get to fuck. Lovely stuff, and then something about Gary Woods, and one Gary Woods at the very beginning of the game. All in all, a great evening out. <laughs> in Dundee um, Dundee so far this season more impressive at home two to only two defeats from their eight games at Dens Park so far so far Doc has favoured and it's quite interesting this actually 3-5-2 is the in vogue formation in the SPFL Premiership this season uh, Owen Beck who's a left midfielder slash left wing back he's on loan from Liverpool at Dundee he's really impressed so far this season as, as Joe Shaughnessy who's made the move to, to Dundee from St Mirren this summer as well. Amadou Bakayoko, he's on loan from Forest Green Rovers, of course, now managed by Troy Deeney, I spotted earlier in the week. Um, he's their top goal scorer, not Troy Deeney, Bakayoko is Dundee's top goal scorer with four so far this season. And Luke McCowan is also continuing to impress this campaign as well. For Dundee, doing all right in terms of goals scored, averaging 1.3 a game. That's the fourth best in the league. 
although they are underperforming in terms of goals from open play. Only eight is scored against an expected goals of 12.72, but massively, massively overperforming on set pieces. 11 scored. That's the that's more than double anyone else in the league, by the way, um, against an expected goals of 8.64 from set pieces. So we do need to be mindful of this. And you know what? We are fucking great at defending set plays. So look out for them at the weekend. Defensively for Dundee, they're 23 goals conceded. It's kind of mid-range. That's 1.4 goals conceded per game, which is sixth in the league. 14 of those from open play against an expected goals against of 17.79. So doing all right there. Four conceded from set pieces against an expected goals against of 5.53. So again, doing okay on that metric. Trevor Carson and goals also doing pretty well. 1.6 goals prevented from him this season. Just don't bench him against Rangers and everything will be all right, as it turns out. Style of play, very, very similar to us this campaign. They're not playing too many passes. They're happy to get it direct, so maybe bring your binoculars with you on Saturday afternoon. Happy to sit in, give teams territory. Again, something we've really struggled with this campaign. <coughs> and they are one of the least pressing sides in the league as well. Uh, passes per defensive action of 14.0. That's the third lowest in the league. Only Hibs and St. Johnston at this moment in time are less likely to press you. So, Gav, uh, game two of what is a, a massive run of five games in the run-up to the winter break. Thoughts, hopes, predictions for what we might see at Dens Park at the weekend. Do you think, does Barry grab his cojones and go with a back four? No. Excellent. Lovely stuff. What can we expect? Uh, back three. A back three, two wing backs, three midfielders who don't play well together, and uh, and a probably, 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 probably Duke and Boyemi off get up front, wondering what the fuck's going on. Um, I think this is going to be a really difficult game. I was going to say a banana skin, but I think that's being disrespectful to Dundee um, and what they've been capable of doing so far this season. Um, when they appointed Tony Docky, I thought that was a really astute piece of business by them. Um, obviously having watched him up close for a number of years it wasn't as though he was just playing second fiddle um you know putting out the cones while Derek McInnes did everything um he was obviously a very integral part in the the success that we had with with um with McInnes and that continued at Kilmarnock so for him to step out on his own um I'm not surprised by how well he's done you know Dundee have been a yo-yo team for a few years now up and then gone straight back down with really not much of a fight um, and he's got them going uh, done really well um, and after the top six and, yeah after, well, uh, they're seventh yeah 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 well they've been yeah. in the top six at they times um, yeah. scoring goals I think he's recruited very well some really good experienced players in Shaughnessy and Trevor Carson especially I think he's probably one of the better goalkeepers in the league um, so he's done well there they've got some players I've admired like I think Luke McCowan's a good player. Um, yeah. The boy Lyle Cameron also is a very good player from what I've seen, uh, having watched them a little bit in the championship last season. So they've got some players who can definitely cause us problems, do some damage, um, but not to speak in a disrespectful manner. I would like to think that we can go to Dens Park and and take the game to them. Um, you know, the budgets will be vastly vastly different um in our favor and if you go along with the soccernomics theory that it's wages that can account for where you finish in the league and where you should be winning games then average should be taking this game to dundee and getting three points um i think graham would comment that if we're going to finish in third place you have to be going to places like dens and coming away with a win 
Um, so I'm hopeful that we can assert ourselves, uh, dominate the game, and be resolute in our defense because, like you say, that set piece especially, that's a set piece record, which I shouldn't be too surprised about because you know, I think McInnes and Docky did pretty well set pieces, generally speaking, at Aberdeen, so he's obviously carried that over. Yeah, be resolute, and he's looking at me with a, a weird face, but I think Ash Taylor scored his fair and few goals uh, as an Aberdeen I, player, especially in his second spell. I know, my res- my 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 thought process of Lieutenant McInnes era set pieces is now again inevitably hitting the first man from corner kicks. Or to the opposite corner flag. Yeah. The Ben, the Ben Thornley special. <clears throat> yeah, but yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting one because we've we've looked, um, what's the thick of it line? We've looked about secure as a hymen in a South London comprehensive, comprehensive set of yes. pieces. Yeah. So, um, yeah, very interesting one to watch. I think for us at the weekend, um, it's going to be interesting. I think for Robson, what he chooses to do. Full stop. I think if he does go back three, he's. This is the daft thing. It's that thing. It's like, I, I, there, there are times with Robson where his stubbornness comes across as arrogance. And there's part of me thinks he'll deliberately stick with a back three just to say to the fans he knows best. Um, but I do think that not that managers should do things to appease the support from time to time because there are large times when the support are also idiots um, about things. But if he wants to try and get the fan base back on side to an extent, and he's still on a shoogly peg here, one result against a very poor Livingston team doesn't really change all that much, I don't think. No. If he does decide to be stubborn and stick with a back three, it instantly puts people back in the frame of mind again of just like, this guy just doesn't get it. And well, well, especially back four, it makes it look like he's listening and, and seeing what people are saying and, and reacting to what he's also surely surely seeing on the pitch well especially almost it would just show a level of flexibility in his management that we haven't seen so far and would give me a a level of belief that he at least can recognize a problem and go about trying to fix it rather than just hoping that plan a will eventually work um i think going to a back forward maybe give him a little more credit in the bank that changes perhaps if we then lose yeah. But it's the Naturally, same situation. It's, it's the yeah. same situation if we go there with the same old back three, back five, whatever you want to call it, and we come away with, you know, a draw or a loss. Um, so for me, I think he's got to show intent, um, try and get ourselves on the game. I don't think we do that by matching up to Dundee, which is what we'd be doing if we were to go with that back three. <clears throat> Let's get Duke um, running at. I assume Cammy Kersel plays for them. Let's get Duke running he, at him. He does. Or, he doesn't play very often now. Or if you know, it's if it's the boy Beck who's maybe a winger or a left wing back more than a defender. Let's see what he's all about. With um, you know, you can even put Duke on that side or or Shaden Morris running at him, and we'll find out if Shaden Morris is any good. Yeah, <laughs> he's not. Um, yeah, you just have to be. You have to be positive. The irony of me saying he's got you got to be positive. <laughs> I know. I have to just say he's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's just what people want to see, isn't it? A manager that can at least adapt to different situations um, and show that there is a more positive side to the Aberdeen team rather than first and foremost, let's not lose the game, which has obviously been a mantra of Robson on more than one occasion this season. Indeed. Right. On that basis, Gav. Um, <clears throat> Predictions. 
Um, really, really tough game. I think on the be, face of it, I think this is the toughest of the five. I would tend to agree, and I think we can come away with three points. That sets us up very nicely to go on and finish this little mini run of games um, with potentially as many points as we can uh, as we can take from them. So it'll be a big game, very tough. I think Dundee will probably score against us. So I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to be three two Aberdeen. Ooh, nice. A Christmas cracker, if you will. Absolutely, yes. Uh, I'm going to go with Dundee 1 again. I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. Um, Aberdeen 3. Um, we're going to go to town on it. I don't know why I'm saying that, but hey, there we go. Might be the drink talking. Who knows? Anyway, what do us, Gav? I think so. Yes, thank you. Lovely stuff. Right, that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Uh, this week's, this week's the second episode, isn't it? Never mind. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever you might do on your podcast. Player of choice, join us next time for episode 143 at some point if we find time to settle ourselves down between now and Christmas or just after for a wee chat. Um, I think Gav, on behalf of yourself, uh, Graham, who's conspicuous by his absence this evening again, we'd just like to wish all of our listeners a very, very Merry Christmas when it arrives. Thank you again, everybody, for your support, for listening in over the course of what has been another entertaining slash tumultuous slash roller coaster slash horseshit slash amazing slash terrible slash what other word can I use to describe it? What 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 was the amazing part? The run to third. Oh sorry I thought you were just talking about this season alone. Uh that no, this that, year. That, it has been an yeah that that was an incredible part of this calendar year yeah for sure. Um but yeah thank you everybody for continuing to join us and continue to listen in. And um yeah we'll see you at some point between now and New Year I think. All the very best. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's. £4 pint of Moretti or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!